Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Hospitality Guild. SHG is a training center created to meet the strong demand for specialized hospitality staff. This training concept was born from the experience and expertise of its founder, Egidio Marcato. Egidio has become a reference in the world of hospitality coaching and has had success stories in skills championships, including Swiss skills, Euro skills, and world skills, as well as the AICR World's Best Receptionist Competition. Contact SHG at www.swisshospitalityguild.com. Good afternoon, and welcome to 50 Shades of Hospitality. This is Crystal Cavin, your host. Today, we are welcoming Bridget Lawler from Swiss for Africa to our program. Welcome, Bridget. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about Swiss for Africa? Thank you very much, Crystal, for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. To tell you a little bit about myself, I'm South African. I've been living in Switzerland for more than 10 years. In my professional experience, I typically work with businesses such as startups and also larger organizations to improve their organizational structures, their processes, and and their operating models. I've been very passionate about trying to solve some of the problems in South Africa for some time, as well as with some of my friends and, and colleagues. And a few years ago, five of us came together and we decided to found Swiss for Africa as a nonprofit organization where we could each bring our skills and expertise together to try to address some of these longstanding challenges of our country. So a little bit about Swiss for Africa is that it is a nonprofit organization. We founded it and registered here in Bern in Switzerland. We are one year old at the moment. We've been founded by five members, um, three of which were based in Switzerland at the time that we founded Swiss for Africa, and two members are on the ground in South Africa. So what we do is we work with smaller non-profit organizations in South Africa, and our mission is to try to help break the cycle of poverty. And we do this by addressing four, the first four of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. No poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, and quality education. Before we get into this a little bit more, for donors and sponsors who are interested in supporting you, do you issue tax certificates to them? Yes, we absolutely do. Okay, yeah. Just in case some of our listeners are are listening and would like to donate, at least they know that uh, they can get a tax certificate. So tell us a little bit more. Why do you work in South Africa? I mean, you said you're from there, obviously, but what was the reason for this organization focusing on South Africa? As you said, I am from South Africa, correctly so. And all of us on the board are either from South Africa or we have a very strong connection to South Africa. It's a place that worms its way into your heart and no matter where you go in the world, it's very difficult to forget it. It's a beautiful country and it has so much potential. But the heartbreaking side of it is that there are also a lot of socioeconomic complexities and a lot of poverty. And we want to use our various skills and resources to make a difference where we can. So how do you think that uh, Swiss for Africa can address these issues of poverty? Well, I think that everybody will agree that poverty is a very complex issue and there are no quick nor easy solutions. What we want to do is to make a difference in communities where we can. And we are quite pragmatic in our approach of trying to make a difference one community at a time. We hope to develop sustainable models that can be applied and maybe modified and adapted from one community to work in other communities. 
First thing I'd like to say is that we do not believe that giving cash donations is the solution to addressing poverty. Um, we believe that that just donating cash fosters greater dependency in the long term, and that's it perpetuates um, the problem. So what we do is we work with communities to develop a model that can be applied that within, you know, after a few years' time, they are hopefully on their feet and able to sustain themselves. So when we begin to work with the community, we firstly sit down with the community and we identify what their greatest needs are. And we together come up with a plan that is relevant for that specific community. We're under no illusions that one solution may fit everybody. And then we implement a two-pronged approach. And our first side of it is that we need to fix the most urgent short-term needs. And in parallel to that, we need to build a sustainable model that will be long-term solutions and get them to the point of being self-sustainable. So, Bridget, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, these self-sustainable models? Yeah, absolutely. The activity of what the model itself will do very much depends on what best suits a particular community. So we need to design that in, in conjunction with the community. But there's certain elements and certain principles that need to be in place. The first one is that it needs to be able to generate an income or provide resources to the community so that they're not reliant on donations. The challenge is that most of these communities we're working with at the moment are able to survive only through donations or mostly through donations. And that's a very precarious place to be in because if for any reason their circumstances change or donations dry up, there's a lot of people who are very vulnerable and at risk. So what we try to do is to have an activity in place where they're able to generate resources for themselves, have as little reliance on, on donations as possible. The second element that's very important is that this model needs to have an ability to develop skills for members of the community that it's serving. And skills are an incredibly central component to having a, a self-sustaining model, because first and foremost, the skills should be able to help to contribute to the operation of the community itself. There's always so many things that are needed. So we want something, people to have skills that are quite useful, that they can use to better their own lives and to better the lives of others around them. But the other part of the skills is that they should also be transferable because the idea of these communities is that they are there for people who are in times of hardship in their lives. And the objective is that people get to a point where they can go back into mainstream society, into mainstream communities. We want these skills to also be transferable so that it's also a means to help people to find employment outside of this, out of, of these communities that they're in at the moment, to be able to generate an income for themselves and their families so that these skills, they should be transferable skills and they should lead to employment opportunities. And that actually brings us to our third component, which is that this model should be able to create employment opportunities in the community itself, because once the community starts operating in a certain way, people will need to be employed to do certain jobs. So people living in the communities will be able to earn a small income by being a part of that. And also it gives them some experience. So when they're applying for jobs elsewhere, for example, if you've been working in a kitchen performing a certain role, it's not just that you have the skill and you've been trained on how to do something, but you've perhaps been working in a kitchen in this particular facility for a period of maybe one or two years and that you can go into an, another employment opportunity with some relevant experience. Yeah, fantastic. You have a current project you are working on in South Africa, and this touches on our podcast topic of hospitality and the hospitality industry. Could you tell us how you are applying this model there? Yes, one of our communities in South Africa is called Soli Deo Gloria Care Center, and we, we refer to it as Soli for short. It's a very long name. And Soli is based in a town called Leidenburg 
Leidenberg is around about 350 kilometers away from Johannesburg. So it's in a fairly remote area outside of some of the big central hubs, economic hubs in South Africa. It's a region, just to give you some context, it's a region that's known for mining industry as well as agricultural industry. And they've had ambitions to grow tourism in that area as well. But the area has been suffering with economic depression for a long time. It's not an affluent area and, and people struggle with everyday life. Solly is a local nonprofit organization that started in this area to give refuge and support to people who have sunk into economic hardship for various reasons. Today, they have close to 200 people in residence and who they feed on a daily basis. So they provide two meals on a daily basis for 200 residents. And these residents range from young children and the school going age children, adults, um, teenagers and, and elderly. And one of the critical needs that they have at Soli is building a better kitchen facility. The one that they have, the kitchen facility they have, started as quite a rudimentary facility when they had about 30 residents in the beginning. And as you can imagine, now with close to 200 residents, it's really not suited for their current demand. So as part of our agreed upon plan with Soli, we want to replace their kitchen. And it's from this that the original idea of the current project rose. And the current project is that we aim to serve not only the Solly community's needs, so catering needs, but also become an operational center to provide food for the wider community at Leidenburg. Aha. And how exactly will that work? The central part of it is that we formed an alliance with an organization. It's a global organization called Meals on Wheels. So if you can imagine almost a type of a, a soup kitchen um, that typically serves the, the frail and, and poor in a particular area. So the concept is to serve people in need who live at home and they may need assistance in getting warm and nutritious meals on a regular basis, such as elderly people, maybe people with mobility challenges or, or people who don't have you know, that kind of support readily available at home. So bearing in mind that Leidenberg area itself has many people in need of home care, um, this is a much needed and welcome service to be provided in that larger community. So what we were, are aiming to do is have Solly operating as a center for Meals on Wheels in that region. We envisage that food parcels and meals would be prepared in the new Solly kitchen by members of the Solly community and be delivered to the members of the community who've signed up for Meals on Wheels. And that's how we would generate a flow of income for Solly. We'd also increase skills and increase employability in the longer term. Wow, fantastic. What a great idea. What does the skills development look like in this project? Well, as I mentioned before, skills is really the central component to this project's success. And there's a few different components to that answer because uh, in skills features in different dimensions. So first and foremost, for this project to get off the ground, the members of the Solly community would need to be trained on the skills required to prepare the food and also to run kitchen operations. And I'm sure that any listeners from the hospitality industry could be nodding their heads here because you'd be very familiar with what it takes to run a successful kitchen um, operations and prepare meals for, you know, for large quantities of people at a time. So there's a lot of skills development that needs to happen in that particular space. So that's, I would say, the basic level. But in addition to this, we also want to maximize use of resources because in the context of this, you know, resources are absolutely precious if we can't afford to have anything go to waste. So we're very grateful to the Mata Fondazioni in Geneva, who will be training the team down in Soli, also on a zero waste approach to food preparation, as 
well as to how the element of food and feeding people is a powerful means of social inclusion. And I think this is another aspect which is very important in this particular project. And then beyond that, when we're able to have our commercial grade kitchen in place and we have suitable capacity, we have other hospitality industry organizations in South Africa, such as the Chefs Association of South Africa, who have indicated an interest to use our facility as a premises for training others in that region, because they're in this particular location in South Africa, there is a scarcity of such facilities because it is so far away from some of the bigger economic hubs. Fantastic. So who are you currently partnering with? We're at the early stage of our project. So we have a short list of partners at the moment who we're very grateful to have on board with us. We have, as mentioned, the Mata Fondazioni in Geneva, who's our partner. And we're extremely grateful to Chef Walter and Patrick for their guidance in our project so far. We have an agreement with a business called Lead Catering in Nelspreit. Nelspreit is in South Africa and not far from the Leidenberg area. They will be our kitchen supplier and service team. So Lead Kitchens has already pledged some finances to our project. And again, we're extremely grateful to them for coming on board at this early stage. We've selected Lead Kitchens also because they're really close to Leidenberg and they can do the maintenance of equipment on an ongoing basis. And then the construction of the kitchen is going to be done by an engineering company called Razor Construction, also in the Leidenberg area. And they've pledged to sponsor us with some labor as well as material for the project. And then we're in several discussions that are in progress with different organizations in South Africa, which we hope to be able to announce soon, but it's a little bit early days to announce partnerships at this stage. And Bridget, what do you need for this project to succeed? Well, what we need is to have either a Swiss or a European kitchen supplier or a partner in the Swiss hospitality training industry. So these are some of our most critical needs. We need a financial partner that can back our project because the big element is that we're going to need to replace this kitchen and that requires a bit of a capital injection. So in monetary value, what we're looking for is around 45,000 Swiss francs to complete the project, which would include the kitchen equipment, construction, and also a delivery vehicle to be able to deliver the meals to people in need. Yeah. So, and why exactly do you need a delivery vehicle for the kitchen project? So the model of so the Meals on Wheels concept is that meals would be ordered by people online or they would sign up to a subscription kind of service. We would prepare the meals in the kitchen of the Solly area. And Solly is in a slightly remote area, so we need to be able to have a vehicle to then deliver those meals to the people who have signed up for that. And because we believe in maximizing resources as much as possible, a delivery vehicle would also be quite useful and we can use it for multiple purposes within the community as well. Children need to go to school. They walk currently to school, which is many kilometers away. Also, you know, it would help for, you know, picking up um, grocery shopping and, you know, and these types of things. But certainly, so a vehicle will be very much appreciated in the solid community. It would be an absolute enabler for us to be able to make our Meals on Wheels type of kitchen a reality. So you've mentioned Meals on Wheels. Can you explain to the Swiss audience a little bit more about this principle? I come from the United States, so when you mention Meals on Wheels, it's been around for a long time in the United States. But, you know, for our listeners, tell us a little bit more about Meals on Wheels. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I believe, it was founded in the, the United States and it's been in South Africa for, I think, about 60 years or so as well. So it's been you know, very much needed and welcome in the greater South African community, but typically in the larger economic centers where there are 
birds in a much more higher concentration of population. And what we want to do is bring this, as I said, to this area where you don't have such a facility. Meals and Wheels, either you can have you know, public donations to help sponsor meals for people in need, or you or people can sort of like sort of buy a subscription model type of thing, where you have meals that are prepared in a central kitchen somewhere and then delivered to people's homes. Typically, it's been very useful maybe if they have been you know, by let's say, adult children who are living far away from their elderly parents. and They want to make sure that parents are delivered warm, nutritious, home-cooked meals, whether it's once or twice a day or several times a week, etc. So it's providing that service to people who live at home. Maybe they're not able to prepare meals for themselves and they're not, maybe don't have carers able to do that. So it fills that, it fills that gap. Yeah, so a lot for people who are not mobile, who can't, you know, older people, poor people that can't get outside and get meals for themselves. So the partners who support you, can they visit your charities in South Africa and contribute time and energy that way? Absolutely, in any time. We absolutely welcome having our partners um, visiting in South Africa. And even in our just one year of um, establishment, we've already had two of our partners who have sent some members of their teams to visit and build on some projects in South Africa on a hands-on capacity. One of the reasons we encourage this so much is firstly, we believe in absolute transparency and participation. So we want people to be able to come and be a part of what we're doing on the ground. We believe it makes it feel a lot more personal on both sides, both for the people people who are contributing, but also for those who are recipients, you know, of the generosity of others. It just makes everything so much more real. And then click on a website, for example, to contribute or to donate to. But, you know, when you've had people who've gone along on other projects that we've had, such as building houses for our communities in South Africa, we've had some of our partners who've gone and gotten involved in the actual construction of the houses, working together alongside with members of the community, sharing a meal with them. It's just a a much more enriching experience for everyone. So everybody is welcome. Yeah, and, you know, this reminds me, uh, I worked in when I was living in the United States several times on the uh, uh, Habitat for Humanity, where it's such an incredible experience to actually be there and actually just contribute in that way by just being involved, even if it's for a day or a week. Uh, it's a very powerful experience. I agree. Earlier, you mentioned young people benefiting from the kitchen project. Can you elaborate on that? Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So, I mean, as we said, on the most basic level, people who are there and who get involved in the project will end up having, attaining new skills, acquiring new skills that will be useful to them in life. And when we think about the younger residents, though, we have, we think there's an extra special value that comes into it for them. We want to create an example of a working operation that the youth can aspire to be part of. So if you imagine this community that's in a rather remote area where levels of unemployment are extremely high, there are very few examples for the youth of today when they look around and consider the question of what do I want to do when I grow up. Um, Around them, many people are unemployed and there is a residual feeling of hopelessness or there could be a residual feeling of hopelessness. What does it matter to go to school? Why should I do this? If Where am I going to get a job? What am I going to do? And what we want to do is to see a working model in place. We want to have adults around them who are engaged in gainful activities. And hopefully that gives the teenagers and the preteens at Solly an example of what they could be doing and something that they would look forward and want to be a part of as well. So currently, just in the Solly community, we have about 15 teenagers and about 20 preteens living there at the moment. 
And then the other thing is, as we mentioned, in the future, we'd want to also host training courses in the kitchen. And it could be that some school groups in the surrounding areas may become and use these facilities and we have a little bit more interaction. And again, just mixing and mingling with other members of the communities in very constructive and productive ways. So we can introduce our next generation to all the skills related to things like cooking, culinary skills, hospitality industry and, and that wider picture. That's a really important piece, I think, of all of this is, you know, South Africa is a huge tourist destination. I mean, tourism in South Africa, I, so many people that have traveled there, have been there, have said, oh, you have to go. It's absolutely amazing. So I would imagine that um, by being trained in hospitality jobs in a country that increases, is increasing its uh, tourism and hospitality businesses, they can see perhaps a future in that field, I would imagine. Yes, indeed. And maybe just one other thing to add is this entire project, if we're successful with this project, and we very much hope that we will be, is we'll be transforming a community from being essentially a charity in a community to being somebody who provides and contributes positively to the community. I think what that will also do for members of the community in terms of self-esteem and self-respect should not be underestimated. There's really a huge feel-good factor for being able to make all of this happen. You've mentioned that Swiss for Africa is just one year old. What results have you achieved so far? I think in our first year, we achieved a lot more than I think our um, founding team imagined when we set out. So we're extremely happy with that. And we're excited to continue our momentum and be able to achieve even more. What we've done so far is thanks to some partnerships and the generosity of some projects that we've had on the go so far, we've built structures, homes, providing a roof over the heads of 27 people. This is including some dormitory style homes, two dormitory style homes where we had 16 people in total. So eight for single let women and eight for single men. And the other four structures we have are two family homes and two homes for senior citizens. And this also speaks to, I mentioned earlier, the first of our two-pronged approach is fixing some immediate needs. And some of the homes that we have in these communities are now, if the roof is constantly falling in every time it rains, for example, any resources available are constantly fixing collapsing roof, for example. So what we wanted to do was provide some suitable housing so that once that is taken care of, you know, resources can then be used for more progressive solutions. But we also have an education fund in place. We believe that education in all aspects are pivotal to solving problems related to poverty. And in our education fund, we have six teenagers who are finding traditional conventional school education quite challenging. And part of that is due to, to the background. They've had a lack of early educational opportunities. And so we need to have some additional resources there to provide them the kind of support that they need to be able to meet their educational needs. So we have six teenagers at the moment going through that. We've also, speaking of teenagers, we have also provided the ability for six teenagers to go to youth camps. Going past you know, the narrow version of education based on you know, only what you learn in the classrooms, we believe that in order to be equipped with proper life skills, it needs to go beyond what a classroom is able to provide. And so we also believe very much in experiential learning. We wanted our teenagers to be able to experience a broader perspective on how society operates and be on a healthier developmental path. So that has happened as well. And then also just addressing some of the broader sort of problems that they experience, you know, maybe in the homes, in, in communities, is 
We've been able to support two adults, two mothers, to rehab facilities so that they could deal with challenges related to substance abuse. They've now since, you know, successfully completed some of these programs. They're very much back on their feet and we're very happy to say they've been reunited with their children. And so, you know, we have also family units who are able to come together and to grow together as they continue their journey. And what other projects are you currently working on? Well, so we mentioned the the kitchen and we've sort of put the kitchen as sort of a central one in this discussion so far. And we're looking to raise around about 45,000 Swiss francs in funding that kitchen. But beyond that, we have a few other projects on the go. So just to give you an example, side by side to all of this, we assist these communities in establishing some small farming projects, also in the principle of being able to provide resources for themselves and be less reliant on donations. So we have some vegetable gardens going on and um, our vegetable gardens around about 4,000 Swiss francs. But that we're building some ablution blocks. So the ablution blocks are also an area that greatly needs to be addressed. And when we speak about ablution blocks, we're talking about the facilities where people are able to, you know, it's, it's where the toilets are, where people are able to have a shower, where you're able to basically take care of your personal hygiene. In these communities, again, just to just to imagine what they look like, we have little, small little homes, little cottages dotted around the community, none of which have their own private bathrooms. You have communal facilities. So they're communal facilities where people use the bathrooms where people can take a shower, do all the stuff that we need to do for our you know, personal hygiene, which are in, I think, really, I think for most of us, and especially if you're living in Switzerland, and you know, we're used to the kind of quality of life we have in Switzerland. If you look at some of the photographs of how the community sort of uh, manage with the current facilities, it's quite shocking to some of us. You know, there's just to give you an example, one of the ablution blocks. They don't have warm running water. And in winter in this part of South Africa can become quite brutally cold. They've, through their own innovation, they have devised a system of making a fire to heat water in the pipes as it flows into these blocks. But can you imagine if you were either having young children or elderly members of a community trying to take a, a shower in the middle of winter? Yeah, without warm water. In such facilities, it's really without warm water and it's it's really not ideal. So, so this is another area that we to we have on our roadmap to replace for us to do that entirety would also be around about 44,000 Swiss francs so we have that our education program continues so our education program for 2024 besides what I've mentioned that has already been done we also have four high school children who need funds for school fees which by the way school education is not free in South Africa again that's a bit surprising for you know people in this part of the world because we're used to a different system but no matter who you are and we're not talking about private schools we're talking about your most basic sort of government level schools parents have to pay school fees for their children to attend schools and it's very difficult as you can imagine for families who have economic hardships do that. It's not only school fees, but all of these schools, the kids have to wear school uniforms that also have to be funded by the parents. So it's the fees to attend schools as well as all the other extras. So the the parents have to pay for the school uniforms, for stationery, for the kids to use at school, for any school projects, for any sports equipment. Everything is funded by the parents, and that's just how education works in South Africa. It makes the barrier to entry a lot harder and higher for people who don't have much. So 
our school education fund is trying to help sort of level the playing field for that. So we have four other school children and and 17 who are in primary school, the junior school that need the same. We also then have, you know, children who need some early childhood development enrollment. Again, they have challenges with education and they need have some special needs uh, to be met. So we work with an educational therapist on this to sort of advise us and to guide us and how we can assist these young children to achieving their full potential. What we don't want to have is, you know, if people have, if children have special needs, that they just go and sit in the classroom that is geared at mainstream education, you know, that's sort of tailored for the masses and they just sit there every single day and they're not able to absorb and they're not able to connect with how they need to be educated. So that's what we're doing, you know, and, and that will just, it's not a difficult for the children but you can imagine builds up a sense of let's say negativity or resentment about going to school and feeling like you know this is not for me and maybe feeling like they're not able to learn what is not necessarily the case. I think that's really important that as early as possible we can meet a child's individual needs so that they have the higher probability of success in being educated, in developing skills, in being able to find employment and to just step out of a lifetime of, you know, of poverty. And then just lastly, we have a project that also caters for the needs of elderly care. So I mentioned that we have some senior citizens as well who reside in these communities. At the stage where they are senior citizens, our focus is less on skills development and employment, as you can imagine. But what we're looking for is dignity and comfort and to be able to make sure that their needs are met as well because some of them have gone through some very very difficult times they may need to have you know some kind of of counseling support of course as as you have an aging population you get medical care and medical costs that you know become a concern and we just want to make sure that they have their needs met and that they're able to live their senior years with um, a sense of community and a sense of of dignity wow fantastic What wonderful projects. Bridget, thank you so much for being with us today to describe this uh, incredible project, Swiss for Africa. We hope our listeners will be generous and uh, help the uh, Swiss for Africa organization to continue these projects, to grow these projects. These are obviously the kinds of initiatives that uh, are absolutely fantastic because, as you said, this is for a lifetime. When young people get a good education and skills development, uh, they they can go much further in life. And um, if you are interested in donating, Bridget, tell us how people can do that. Well, I think the easiest way to do that is to hop onto our website, which is swissforafrica.com. Thank you, Crystal. It's been an absolute pleasure being on here and being able to share with you what we're doing in our project, our various projects in South Africa. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Hospitality Guild. SHG is a training center created to meet the strong demand for specialized hospitality staff. This training concept was born from the experience and expertise of its founder, Egidio Marcato. Egidio has become a reference in the world of hospitality coaching and has had success stories in skills championships, including Swiss skills, Euro skills, and world skills as well as the AICR World's Best Receptionist Competition. Contact SHG at www.swisshospitalityguild.com.